Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. We take time every couple of weeks to get together and talk about what matters to you as a professional project manager. It's one of the ways we try to keep the fires burning, keep you motivated, and keep you at your best. And one of the ways we do that is by talking with people who are out there doing the stuff of project management. People who don't just watch things happen, but make things happen. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are two guys who are always making something happen. Uh, it's usually good stuff. Andy Crow and Bill Yates. Andy, our guest in the studio, brings a wealth of knowledge in the fields of technology and education today. Nick, one of the best things about this job is we get to interact with some really bright people, and I think we've taken that up a notch today. Yeah, no doubt about that. Dr. Elke Leeds is the Associate Vice President of Academic Affairs responsible for technology-enhanced learning at Kennesaw State University, north of Atlanta, the third largest university in the state of Georgia. Before taking on that duty, she played a key role in developing the first online degree program at Kennesaw State. She holds a PhD in information systems and is actively engaged in research relating to student retention, engagement strategies, and teaching competencies. Dr. Leeds, thanks for joining us here on Manage This. Oh, Nick, my pleasure. Well, first, let's talk a little bit about Kennesaw State University because, you know, it doesn't have the maybe national reputation, uh, you know, on the national stage. Easy, of Nick. You're talking about my alma mater. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. And let's go with not yet or maybe it's got okay. more of a not yet. Not yet. They're not on ESPN as much. Okay. That's right. Exactly. I mean, football the fans. ESPN 3. <laughs> yeah, ESPN and 3. We, we won our conference in football this year, so you know, okay. let's Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Okay. Didn't mean to offend here, but, but granted, okay. You know, uh, football fans nationwide, they, they know the University of Georgia, the football powerhouse, uh, you know, traditionally at, at uh, Georgia Tech. But Kennesaw State University, in terms of number of students, is just right up there. We've got a, over 36,000 students right now. We've grown in the last 15 years since I've been there from 15 to 36 plus thousand students. 10 academic degree granting colleges, national prominence in business and cybersecurity, engineering, nursing. Um, the institution is just amazing. And we've actually just learned we have one of the highest conversion rates from applicants to acceptances. When students apply mm -hmm. to Kennesaw State, they're intent on coming here. Hmm. So it's it's grown, obviously. I mean, people uh, here in the area have seen the growth right before their very eyes. But it's also grown in terms of a merger with another local university, and you were a big part of that. Yep. Kennesaw State is what we, um, I guess, back in 2013, when, and we call it a consolidation. I think mm. uh, the system really didn't want to think of it as a merger. Mm. They wanted to think about two institutions coming together to form a new university. And that's Southern Polytechnic State University, which is about 10 miles south of Kennesaw, off of I-75, and Kennesaw State University. So it really took two incredibly fine institutions and made them one much larger, much more prominent, and much more impactful institution. And in your position, obviously, you were right in the thick of that uh from the very beginning. I was right in the thick of that. I got one of the early emails in December of 2013 announcing the consolidation and very quickly assigning roles into how we'd be interacting with the system office, the state, and partner institutions. So even though you didn't bear the title of project manager, that's essentially what you were on many levels. Nick, I've never borne the title of project manager <laughs> in an associate vice president's role, assistant vice president's role, executive director, even 
in operations and planning where I started. I've never been called a project manager. And in, if you think back, it's probably all I did for the first 10 years of my career. And that's the thing, Elke. It, uh, it, it's all about the role and not the title. Because people walk in and they're confused. Their title may be something completely different, and yet uh, they recognize that they're a project manager. You know, and Andy, I think acting or serving in the role of project manager, title or not, is probably one of the most strategic positions in terms of leadership advancement because you touch every part of the organization. And you're mm -hmm. making a measurable impact, or you should be. So you've got demonstrable results at the end of it. You can you have something to show for it. A lot of a lot of people complain that their jobs, they sit there, they feel like they push electrons around all day, mm -hmm. they write emails, they answer emails, and at the end there's nothing to show. And you know, if you're managing a project, you should have something to show mm -hmm. at the end of it. And stories to tell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I imagine when you think about that, uh, okay, you guys are calling it a consolidation, the, uh, the bringing together of two universities. You learned more about that other university than you had known before, I'm sure. And you had to figure out, okay, who are the key players in this? How, is I, if I'm going to lead this effort, how do I figure out who needs to come together to create a, a common culture? Yeah. That had to present some challenges. Prior to the announcement bill of the consolidation, I had worked with their president previously on a statewide committee. And that was pretty much all the exposure I had to Southern uh, Polytechnic. I mean, we've heard of it, certainly. Right. There were reps around the state anytime we had a statewide commission and every institution sent a rep. So I'd get to meet people on occasion from the institution. But when the email came from then, <clears throat> excuse me, President Dan Papp, received it, read it, recognized I was basically put in charge of something. Mm. And I would have a counterpart at, at the other institution. Never met the man, hadn't really heard of him, not because of you know anything he's done. I just, sure. you know, different spheres of influence, different yeah. spaces. And put a call out for people who not only wanted to be part of this particular group, but also to self-identify people we needed to be part of the group. And I would think, I mean, to me, guys, it just makes sense. You have the merger of an engineering school in a liberal arts school, that's easy, right? I mean, everybody's <laughs> thinking the same oh, way. Yeah. And Bill, to that point, uh, you know, when I was when I was getting ready to go to college, a lot of my friends decided to go to Southern Poly. Uh, they wanted to go and, and pursue civil engineering or some kind of engineering uh, degree. I went to Kennesaw State, and there was a little bit of rivalry going through. You know, the two institutions are, what, 10 or 11 miles apart uh, physically. And so it was really interesting because you've got, you've got culture to overcome. You've got systems to integrate. I mean, it was a big, big deal. It was. And, you know, I think when you think about culture, Andy, when you bring up a great point, Southern Poly has pride in their background of sure. geek culture. Very I mean, much. That yeah. really is who they are and, and their colors and their mascot and, and how they interact one another with their colleges. Kennesaw State had experienced enrollment growth, dramatic enrollment growth over the years. We just announced football. So, you know, and, and while, yes, it's a liberal arts institution, there is also prominent professional programs in business, education, and nursing. And we really looked at ourselves as, as being tied to the metro Atlanta community, business in the southeast, right. and, you know, not so much aligned with the geek culture. Mm. So that was part of the biggest learning um, challenges that we experienced. And is, so they bring in a little bit of a geek to help make that uh, bridge that, that gap, correct? Well, actually, I got, <laughs> I got the dean of architecture as my partner, so okay. was, we weren't sure, but great guy. Um, yeah. You know, going back to it, 
I think one of the lessons we learned is when you kick off something that big, mm. you want to come out of the gate by answering a few questions that are on everyone's mind. Who is the senior leadership team? And then what are the colors of the institution going to be? What's the mascot huh. going to be? Because right. alumni, students are, are tied. It's very emotional right. to lose part of your identity. And I think letting those decisions linger a little bit is something that, that in subsequent consolidations is, was a very quick lesson learned is come out of the gate with this is your senior leadership team and this is your, this is your future mascot. So this stakeholder is identification and setting that vision, getting those things rolling. Mm, that's good. And I, I recall I uh, was in a, a, a meeting with Dr. Papp and heard him say that that issue of mascots and colors was one of the top three that uh, they realized people were most concerned about, which was just shocking. But I think about, you know, a lot of the, the background that I had uh, prior to joining Velocity was working with uh, the kind of change management, we'd go in and implement a new software system at a client. And there was so much resistance from those who were, they were accustomed to using the old system. You know, and yeah, maybe the new system that we represented and we're going to implement was going to be faster and free up time for deeper analysis and all that. That's great. But this is change and I fear change. And uh, so simple things like culture and change and the fear of not being able to understand, you know, how the new culture is going to impact me. Uh, I've felt a lot of that with our clients. I'm sure you saw that a lot. Absolutely. And because this project wasn't one where the end result was already pre-configured. It was actually, the project was shaping itself as it went. Mm -hmm. We had options to do an A plus B equals A, an A plus B equals C, or some other configuration, Mm -hmm. since Kennesaw State was about four times the size of Southern Poly. I think there was a bit of a feeling of of David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. And that really causes some angst. So, you know, culture trumps all. And when you're talking about culture in this situation, really at the heart of that, we had to go to the people. We had to understand their concerns, their fears, their thought process before we got going. In fact, one of the things when I was thinking about this and, you know, stages of team formation, right? Right. And and you go through that forming, storming, norming, performing. We always had a journey. Mm. And in a journey, I had celebrating. I wish we had the end of project party in the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> because then I really could have gotten to know the people right. in a non-pressure situation, right? Get to know them as people, get to know hopes, dreams, aspirations, which also would have helped shape some of the work. You know, the way it started, we had to tease that out with teams of people that we were leading that we'd never met, mm. that we didn't know, who, who may have had the same vision, may have had a different vision, families, career paths. There was a lot of swirling that had to settle down before we could really get to the heart of the work. That's a great point. And you know, I cannot think of another project I've been involved with. I wasn't involved with that one, by the way, but I can't think of a project I've been involved with that had that much fear attached to it by Mm -hmm. as many stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So you have people who are really worried. They're worried about, uh, am I going to have a home? Uh, Am I going to be relevant? Am I going to have a job at all? Uh, in this new organization, uh, all the way down to smaller things like what mascot are we going to use? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Well, and in that, by not having the answer to those questions, you're asking people to sit with uncertainty. Mm. That is not comfortable. And the, the more you can kind of eke out and help share with them a future plan, a vision, 
you don't risk losing good people. And I think that was one of our biggest fears is that not many people can sit with uncertainty. Right. And your top talent may be in that category and you want to reach those people and encourage them and communicate that there is a spot and we may not know what it is. So let's learn together where your strengths and talents are. Um, That's also part of why when I met with our team for the first time, one of the biggest messages when I was setting the scope of the work we were doing was letting them know that there wasn't a a formula that was already predetermined. It wasn't A plus B equals A or A plus B equals B or A plus B equals C. It was A plus B equals E, F, G, H, I, whatever (laughs) the best practice was. Hmm. It's so rare. I mean, if you can imagine how many times in the history of your work can you completely reconfigure an institution or an organization. Hmm. It really was a wipe the slate clean opportunity that not many people get. And you can go into it with the let's take these two parts and put them together and try to create a new whole or let's take these two parts and together re-envision what an organization could be. Hmm. And, and some would say should have been. Because you look at the best in show, right? What systems work the best, not whose system is it? And and what organizational structures will work the best, not based on people, but the role and the responsibilities. So we deconstructed a lot before we built it back up. Do you think you succeeded? <laughs> I mean, looking back on, on this now, uh, obviously you, you come up with things you would have done differently. But, uh, you know, the end result, are you pretty satisfied with it? I would say from our, and we called them OWGs, Operational Working Groups, I would say our operational group experienced tremendous success. And that's because the people that were part of that bought into the vision, celebrated, and now see the new university as their university. I would say in some cases, there are still some folks that that miss the independence of the two institutions. And I'm wondering, as that project commenced on their end, because there were simultaneous operational working groups, this was... I think the final number was 118 different working groups that were just one wow. giant series of dependent events. I mean, wow. if, if you can imagine what that Gantt chart looked like, you, you, just, <laughs> you needed a billboard on 75. Every cult, Everyone had a little bit of a different culture. Every project manager, for lack of a better word, chair of this operational working group, ran that differently, managed their project differently. So you had folks running operational working groups with absolutely no project management experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm curious, Elke, as you go through this and you have, uh, you have this many stakeholders and this many strong personalities, you've said one of the things you would do would be celebrate at the beginning, uh, which I like that, you know, having a kickoff party of sorts to bring people together to kind of understand what their vision for this is. What other lessons learned from your standpoint? And the way we define lessons learned is anything you would do differently if you had it to do over again. Uh, give us a give us one or two that that you feel like you picked up from this in addition to the uh, celebrate early. Well, and I always like spiking the ball in the end zone before you've scored. I, I'm about that. I get it. I'll do the dance at the beginning. You know, we had to really explode the requirements. So if you go back to kind of operations terms, right. right, you take requirements, you explode them to the smallest level. I exploded all of the requirements in the definition of what was our mission. And factored out really those, those, they weren't tasks, they weren't those small, but they were right. sub-projects within the greater schema of the project. And I asked people to serve in those roles, chairing those groups, 
And I really wish I would have encouraged people to volunteer Mm. to be part of those groups, to listen more, because I would have learned more about where their natural affinities were than just looking at role and title. And that was part of the starting early, Andy, because you needed to get to know someone's skills, abilities, knowledge before you put passion, before you put them into a role or asked to put them into a role. We also had a challenge in that because of the simple size of the institution. We had a university where we had a single role per function. They had a university where they had multiple functions in a role. So you might have one office that did the work of four offices simply by size and scale. So we had specialists, and they had highly qualified generalists, people who knew all about various things across the institution versus people who knew very much about one sort of thing. So how do you work with a generalist to put them into a specialist mold? And you can't do that unless you really get to know the people, their skills, their passions. Well, and you're going to lose something even by making that choice, even by taking a a generalist, or sometimes they're called generalizing specialist, and making that person more siloed. You are giving up something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And asking them to buy into a culture where... You don't have that nimbleness, that flexibility mm. in some way, and ways. maybe that wide-angle lens view of the of the enterprise. Exactly, right. which is very beneficial. It can mm. be, and, and it can be. And and what we realized is when we were in some cases losing those incredibly talented people, um, we didn't have that same lens into the organization that was part of this new whole. So it seems almost a little trite to say my lessons learned are not paying close enough attention to the people and their personal needs in this. But that comes down to it. Systems, processes, project management tips and tricks, you know, following PM Bach to the letter, right? I could do that and I could run and set it up, milestone report, Mm -hmm. you know, we could do all of those communication plans. sure everything plans. would have been wonderful if you had, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we talk to people regularly who do it that way. And so, you know, there's, there's trade-offs all there, the way around. And ideally it's both, right? Right. It's not one or the other. It's, it's looking at not only the project by its terms and structure, but the people interacting. You know, when you talk about stakeholders, you know, why were we doing this, right? Stakeholders are the citizens of Georgia. Stakeholders are the students of both institutions. Stakeholders are also the talented staff, professionals, and faculty Hmm. that make up the heart of this new institution. Okay, I heard a number quoted uh, within the past couple of weeks that there are over 4,000 employees at Kennesaw State University. Is that number roughly correct? That is roughly correct. Shocked me. It is a, a bustling, vibrant, energetic... Um, innovative place where I think the the comings and goings and the happenings are, are, you know, awe-inspiring on some days. Well, and so with that, you're absolutely right. The people become front and center uh, as part of that. You've got 30-something thousand combined students now. You've got over 4,000 employees, and it was well over. Both those numbers are low. If you go back in time and kind of trace the roots of project management as a discipline, you know, it's funny because you go back and you start in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and it's a very technical discipline. Mm -hmm. Then it really is all about the processes. It really is all about the technical attributes. And then you start seeing 
around um, maybe the mid-2000s, uh, you start seeing this idea of soft skills, interpersonal right. well, skills. Well, that's when the communications chapter was added, right? Leadership. That didn't exist there prior right. to that. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's funny because then that starts to come in and that starts taking more and more prominence and it's continuing every single edition that's becoming more and more mm-hmm. important and more prominent. Mm-hmm. People are realizing you can do every single technical thing correct and your project not go well because people are angry at the end. They feel uh, disenfranchised. They right. feel pushed aside and marginalized. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not to say that the technical processes aren't critically important. They make things flow and work Mm -hmm. and stay on track. But when we looked at how the people interacted on our operational working group as opposed to some of the others, I think that's probably one of the biggest successes. Mm -hmm. Um, We left with, with new friends and colleagues. We left with a common vision of what the work in technology enhanced learning would mean. And that was, I think, um, I think I might have mentioned previously in a, in a conversation off air, Andy, about promise-based management. Okay. Right? And that was simply, I made a promise. You know, I knew who, you know, my project sponsors were. I knew what my tasks were. Mm-hmm. But the stakeholders in this project, those other members of the project team, did not. Right. So mm-hmm. my role was to communicate my sponsor's vision and my obligation to the system to this team that was actually going to be responsible for enacting the work, right? Envisioning it, structuring it, and then enacting it. So that promise was that this unified vision that we would create would really be a best practice example, an exemplar not just across, not just the university, state, southeast nation, is that if we're going to do this, that we're going to take this, we're actually going to publish our results, we're going to showcase the work, and we're going to make sure that everybody has a seat you know, at the table and as part of performing what the future vision is or enacting the future vision. This is the challenge of being a project manager, though. You've got stakeholders in different groups. You've got the team maybe on one side. You've got the sponsors and senior managers and, uh, you know, initiators on the other side. And the person in the middle that has to make it work is the project manager. And there's this currency of trust both Mm -hmm. ways. And given the nature of this project, there's a lot of maybe mistrust. You begin with that. You begin with this deficit of trust. Well, and and Andy, we were also on multiple groups. Mm -hmm. So while this was one group that I was leading that had, I think our final report project was 132 sub chapters. I mean, because as we had to really get into the real details, we're talking about also, you know, combining systems, Mm -hmm. integrations. Yeah. Um, but as we also served on others. So there were conflicting priorities even across the institution. You know, I think I said to Nick earlier, you know, my life during this time was one giant sequence of unstructured complex problems. You know, that was the day. And you had to figure out how to keep your project team on track with the timeline, reaching milestones, communicating progress, because we had very specific set dates to do that. But you were also interacting with other working groups with similar challenges that were at different places that didn't align, you didn't come to that conversion when you were staging your steps along your timeline. You had to wait for their work before you could progress. We know the challenges with, with you know how we sequence tasks. And there were times we'd almost want to throw up our hands to say, what are we going to do until we right. get us all to that point or we get decision 
you know, one of the things when I'll work with other project managers and we'll start to, and they'll, they'll, you know, Dr. Leeds, you know, I know you want a scope statement. I know you want us to, you know, <laughs> give us your end date and work back. We know you want some buffer at the end. And, right. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten them to where they know that, that I've worked in this space before. So they, I think sometimes they're a little afraid. It's like, oh God, we've got to do a project with her. <laughs> um, but they'll structure it for me. And then they'll go, you know, I mean, what else is it that you need that you want in this? So the one thing that, that I really stress when I work with them is we fail to plan for wait time. Mm. Over and over, mm. we set up these timelines. Right. And we don't structure time that it takes to wait for a decision to be returned to us. Right. We think that's instantaneous. Right. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm done. I hand it off. Meaning we can start immediately after that handoff occurs. And yeah. suddenly there's this lag in the Weeks. schedule that, yeah. Where did right. that come from? Right. And, mm-hmm. and there are certain people you can nudge and there are certain people you probably be better off not nudging right. you know or, or find that delicate yeah. way to, to you know There's bring it up in, in my conversation. life the more you nudge that person the slower they're gonna go so. exactly yeah. exactly so you know and, and that's something you know of course we want our buffer at the end we yeah. want but we also have to make sure that when we're estimating time for each one of these tasks mm. that it's realistic time and that when you deal with people yeah I, it's not a process it's not a technological time it's so funny. Elke, the, you're brushing on a topic that you and I have talked on before, which is the role of project manager, whether it's on your business card or not, is so good at setting people up for running a business, mm-hmm. you know, being a leader <laughs> in a business. And just the very nature of what you're describing just speaks to that. Have you ever engaged students or professionals in that conversation of, hey, I think you should really look into project management because it could set you up for what I think you want to do later in life. Oh, absolutely. I um, taught project management for a while. I did a book chapter on IT offshore project outsourcing. I've worked with undergraduate to graduate to doctoral students. And the project management aspect of my work has always actually been the most interesting and the most fun. Hmm. Um, It also, I think, as you said, Andy, it gives you something to talk about, right? Hmm. You really have something to show when you complete projects. You build a a portfolio of real significant accomplishments. You know, Bill, working with students and, and looking at a career path, going through that process to become a project manager, you know, earn your PMP, really make it part of your professional repertoire, Hmm. um, sets you up for success so beautifully. And you connect across the organization. You get to meet and, I don't want to say influence people, but people get exposure to to what you're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's key. It's not for everybody, but for those uh, who can do the job, it's it's a great career path. And Nick, you probably have heard us say before that the sworn mortal enemy of the project manager is the functional manager, (laughs) these department (laughs) managers. But, But to Elke's point, a project manager is constantly creating change, creating something mm-hmm. new. It's a product service or result that hasn't been done before. You know, and it's it's more exciting to me than being a department manager. You may yeah. manage a department for 10 years and at the end what you have to show is well I did, you know, it's stable. It's, yeah, I've done this for 10 years. Right. I've done it for 10 years and maybe we've achieved something that's mm-hmm. hard, but man, a project manager in yeah. 10 years, you can change the world. There you go. And it forces you. Okay, you know, we started out talking about this merger, this um, consolidation of universities. In a role of project manager, many times, just to your point, you're forced to go to other departments or maybe even different organizations 
that are you're going to be working with and relying on to find a common goal mm-hmm. and uh that man that is that will totally get you out of your comfort zone what's it, the country song love can build a bridge right you're gonna have to go to these <laughs> yeah. you got to go have to show well, them some love when i've worked with students bill you know one of the things that i've always shared especially when i've worked with students on executive presence and leadership as right. well as project management and i was like when the opportunity arises i want everybody every one of the students i'm working with to jump up and raise their hands say pick me pick me i want to be at the front of the room right because yeah. whether it's, it's valid or not that person often gets more credit proportionally for the work or the project than mm-hmm. those that are just taking sort of a, a background role to it. I was like, fight to be the one to communicate that, even if it's mm-hmm. delivering bad news. You can deliver bad news authentically yes. and demonstrate the work and communicate the challenges. I don't think that shoot the messenger applies. People recognize the professionalism, the work behind it. And even though the bad news was delivered, you own it. And you take it forward, and then you become the person or the owner of that and become responsible for it, and that also elevates your position. We have a saying around here that bad news doesn't get better with age. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're big on getting it out there and getting it out quickly. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, there is, you know, <laughs> there's an art to delivering bad news. That's, that's something that probably and hasn't it, been fully explored. And as a project manager, you often have to do that. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, how many projects are on time? You want it mm. on time, on budget, but it doesn't always happen. So you have to be able to deliver that effectively. That's an interesting point that's worth exploring further in the future. Elke, I want to ask you, and, and Andy and Bill, too, you know, you say, Elke, that your life has been recently a series of complex, unstructured problems. <laughs> my life, my career, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <you> know, everything. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, you know, people who are listening to this who may be just entering the field of project management, is this what they can expect? Yes, and, 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 and I love it, Nick. I absolutely love it. I would be unbelievably bored if hmm. I didn't have a different opportunity, challenge, problem to fix, to influence, to lead. Mm. I think that's what's fascinating about project management. If you are an architect of change, Mm. this is something to really consider. You get to influence future direction. You get to dig in and become an expert in a space for a measured period of time, right? Start and stop. And then get to explore something else. So if if you're that sort of person that can't see yourself sitting in the same place, doing the same job, growing incrementally, this is dramatic change. And I think that's what I've always loved about it. Well, we want to try to add a little bit of simplicity to your complex world and and some structure to it. So that's why we have a special gift for you here for being with us today, the Manage This Coffee Mug. It's simple. (laughs) You know, it's It's very functional. Yes, it it is. So so use that in good health. Thank you very much, Nick. Well, thank you, Dr. Leeds. Andy and Bill, as always, it's great to hear your take on things. Thanks so much for your expertise. We're all about education here on Manage This and we know you want those educational credits. So we provide a way to give you free PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications. In fact, you've already earned them just by listening to this podcast. Now you need to claim them. To do that, go to VelociTeach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on April 3rd for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can always visit us at VelociTeach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. 
And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We are here for you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.